welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dalquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello, everybody. It is so exciting to have you here because I have a very practical episode that I think you will love learning from. My guest today is Dr. Karn Jakubowski. She is a principal and she is an educator of many, many years. She's worked with thousands of kids and over that time, she has learned so much about kids' behavior, kids' motivations, and how to help them through challenging times. So if you have a child that's struggling in the school environment, this episode is for you. If you have a child that's struggling in your home environment, this episode's for you because she talks about how she de-escalates kids that are kind of starting to escalate. She talks about the questions she asks kids to get to root behaviors, and she talks about the things and behaviors that are concerning her the most these days and how things have evolved in her time as an educator. She is truly an extraordinary educator and we are so grateful for her work in the school system. You should not underestimate the power of a positive, incredible, devoted administrator. It can truly be life-changing. We have a principal at my kid's school this year that has really ignited this passion in me for how amazing a great principal can impact the school. So I'm so grateful to her. I'm so grateful for my principal. Now let's get to it with Karin. All right. I'm so excited to be chatting with Dr. Karin Jakubowski today. Hi, Karin. Hey, nice to see you. Well, you've really lucked out that your name's not Karen in this day and age. Because when I see, when you see your name, it's like, oh, it's Karen, but you're not Karen. You're Karin. So I bet you're kind of, yeah, tooting your own horn a little bit like that's not me I'm not a Karen (laughs) yes it takes people a couple times to uh practice it but once they get it it's good I love it it's so nice to meet you where am I speaking to you from today I'm in Delaware here on the east coast a cold cool day still waiting for spring we're so done with this cold weather yeah I'm sure I'm in southern California so I can't (gasps) fully identify And are you with the palm trees? Because that's just my favorite. I am. I'll send you a pic. Oh. Yes, I have palm. There's okay. palm trees everywhere in my backyard right now. So, yes. Oh, I love it. One day. It's one a, day. That's, it's a that's happy me place. in my future. Yeah, it's a happy place. Well, Karen, oh. I'm so excited to chat with you today. You are in a very experienced educator, assistant principal, principal. You've guided so many students and families through challenging times. And no doubt, I'm sure you'll speak to the last few years has been additionally challenging for different reasons, right? And so I'm so excited to get your perspective on the education front side, um, because as a parent, I I am a former teacher as well. I taught um, kindergarten, third and fourth grade, and I just loved it so, so much. And before I, you know, really had much life experience in my early years of teaching, you know, I just, I thought differently about like, okay, if I do this, then kids will do this. And that's just not the way it always goes. Sure, there's best practices. Sure, there's things that we can do to help encourage and support these kids at all ages and in all stages and with all needs. But it's just not that simple, is it? No, it really isn't. And then you get that one that you're trying everything you can and you're like, what else can I do to get mm. to this kid and help them do this thing we call school? And it, it got very frustrating early on for me as well. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, will you give a little background on yourself? 
Yeah, so I, even when I was a kid, would line up my little stuffed animals with my little white chalkboard in my (laughs) home and teach them. So at an early age, it's funny because I I kind of like was being a teacher. And then I went um, out of high school. I worked at a um, a five-star hotel in in a city near me. And I was in their fitness club. And there were a lot of engineers and lawyers who were the club members. And they'd come in. And um, at that time, right out of high school, I had attended a church school. And they had a Bible school. So I was in Bible school uh, while I was working this fitness club. And Mm -hmm. they, these these engineers and lawyers would come in and be like, so what are you studying? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you, what do you want to study in college? And I would make stuff up. This is so funny. <laughs> I would be like, oh, I want to be an engineer just because I wanted to hear all the pros and cons that they would like <laughs> give me because they were in the field. And they'd be like, "There's oh, there's such a lack of engineers, of women engineers, and you can make so much money. And I was like, awesome, great. That's I mean, we, we grew up living within our means, so we didn't have much, but we had what we needed. And so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll just, you know, go on making tons of money. And then I would, I would, like one day make up that I was going to be the lawyer or the engineer and just get all their feedback. And then uh, what happened was there was an opportunity in our church school where they needed uh, someone to come in and volunteer in the first and second grade class. And I was like, yeah, sure. I have an hour or so a week. Like I can, I can totally do that. And when I started doing that, Jessica, a teacher, uh, a seasoned teacher walked by one day and she was like, you know, you're really good with kids. And I was like, I am, I don't know. I'm just like doing my thing. Like I, I'd never had any training. And I think that's what planted the seed in me because then um, I ended up in the business office at the hotel that I'd been working at and I would sub for like the general manager's secretary, which was super fun. But then eight hours of working at a computer all day, I was like, I am not created for this. Like I've got to like give and take and feel like I'm making a difference and, and doing more than that. And when I like future paced myself into the future, I was like, why would I work for a company plugging away at a computer eight hours a day for all those years for what at the end of my life to look back and say, what did I do? What difference did it make for Mm. what? And so that's when I applied at Rosemont college for my teaching degree. I actually went for my bachelor's first and they didn't offer teaching as a bachelor's, which is kind of strange, but that's how it was in Pennsylvania. So I took German as my major because my grandparents live in Germany and they (laughs) couldn't speak English. And so I learned to speak with them and then went for my master's while I started teaching in that same private school that I had volunteered in. Amazing. So fast forward, like um, several years, I taught like you did kindergarten, which I loved. And I never thought I would go up a grade and love it. And then I taught first and second. And I was like, wait, I kind of like this too. And then I did student teaching in third and really enjoyed that and surprised myself. And then ended up four years in fourth grade in a charter school, which was like my favorite grade. And then by the end of fourth grade, I was like, you are ready for someone that is that I am not prepared to teach. Like, <laughs> you're good. Like fourth grade was like, I felt like it was like my limit. Yeah. And then when I, um, I don't know, I just always wanted to create an environment where kids loved coming to school and where the teachers loved being there and had this, this dream aspiration to become an assistant principal and then a principal, which I did. And then I got my doctorate in educational leadership. And now I've been. Um, an administrator for the past 10 years, starting as assistant principal, now principal. And I learned a collaborative problem-solving approach along the way that helped me because I was frustrated as a teacher when I couldn't connect with certain kids. Mm. And then this approach that I learned, uh, practiced it over time so much that it became a part of how I deal with every challenging behavior or any kid who's written up in school or does something wrong or unexpected. And now I teach it to parents because I think if I learned it, like 
I could empower parents to help their, with their kid has a meltdown or doesn't tell them what's going on. Or so I'm in my second course now running a live parent group at night and it's just been really fun, awesome and amazing. That is so huge, partnering with the parents. Because when we feel as parents included in our kids' education and that we're on the same page with the teacher, sometimes if you have that troubled kid, maybe you're listening and you have a child where you're constantly getting notes home or phone calls home, that's a really, really stressful thing. And sometimes you wonder, what's really going on? Is my child being singled out? I know I don't see this behavior at home or maybe I do and I don't know what to do. So there's so many dynamics at play. And so I think getting on the same page with teachers and administrators and just opening that dialogue and realizing nobody's perfect. If your kid's acting out, it's not your fault, right? Everyone's doing the best they can, right? And so reassuring them. And I love that you're supporting parents in in that way. Is there like a fundamental like first step that you're teaching parents or what is like a main strategy that you're helping parents with right now with helping helping their kids well before i go into that jess i'm so glad that you said that parents are doing the best they can because i really work off of that premise Mm -hmm. like no matter what's going down with a kid in a class or a teacher or whatnot i go back to the base of this parent is doing the best they know how like and they're not just sending us their favorite and best kids like we get mm. them all so yeah. now we have to figure out what's right what to yeah. do to support them and so i think that's so important and i think sometimes it does get a little stressed and strained because the parent they do take it personally and they're like oh my gosh i didn't train my kid mm. like that and what are you saying they did and it it and it's just, it can be so mortifying to hear that your kid did something in school. I mean, I had a mom who wouldn't even come to the back to school night because her son had stabbed another kid with a pencil. And, and I'm like, it doesn't have to be that way. Like mm. that doesn't, parents, like they shouldn't have to like feel that way. And so I have such a heart for the underdog. I have a heart because I was kind of a bad kid growing up. Like I lied, I cheated, I stole things. Like I was just like <laughs> a bad kid, like growing whatever I had to be taught. Right. right. And, um, So back to your point, I think uh, a big premise of this work is connection before correction. You've got to earn that from your child or earn that from the student teacher, if you're listening, before you're going to correct, 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 or or the relationship's going to be broken and, and you won't be able to gain that trust to help them learn through the experience. And so one of the number one things we start with when working with parents is to practice not talking to your kid when you as the adult and parent are not calm and in control of your body, we call it. Mm-hmm. And that is our first practice, which is such can be such a shift and such a habit change that can just take time and not beat yourself up when you don't do it, but just recognize when you don't do it or when you do it or when you start to do it or you're midway and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm doing it again. Because uh, I housed international students for 10 years, even though I don't have kids of my own, but I've practiced <laughs> for years with yeah. the 600 kids in my school. Um, and I would get in the car in the morning and try to get these high schoolers in my car. I have a meeting, like, we got to go. And and inevitably, I'm sure one of you have been there where, like, I just I just lashed out at them and I just yelled at them, like, you don't understand, like, teachers are waiting. I've got, I'm not going to be late. And I always regretted it afterwards, you know, which we do. And then it's like, so what can we do differently when, Unfortunately, that kind of comes out of us. So mm-hmm. really, there isn't anything different that we know to do. And so that's what we start practicing with parents, just recognizing because when you are upset, 
your, we call it our, our lid is flipped. I mean, there's the whole prefrontal cortex. Uh, your, there's all the science behind it, which I won't get into it now. But you've got to take your deep breaths to get yourself back to being calm. And then that second step is waiting till your child is calm and in control of their body before you're going to engage in what happened or try to problem solve or find their skill that maybe they just need to be taught in that situation. Mm. That is so wise. And I think we can see it when we when our child is starting to escalate, when they're starting to tantrum, we have so little empathy for them, but do we not do the same thing as adults sometimes, right? We're doing the exact same adult tantrum in our own way. And if, if, if it's natural and instinctual for us to do that, we can have a greater understanding and empathy for our kids who are just trying to cope as well in whatever they're struggling to cope with. And so A, yeah, being able to be more in check with your own emotions so that you're not escalating your child and be providing the model. I've kind of coined the phrase, you can't expect your kids to behave better than you do. And I'm mm. sure when you have, you know, these group meetings with families in, in your office, you've probably seen kind of similar behaviors sometimes or similar communication styles, right? And our yeah. kids are, are craving to be taught, Right. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like you struggled growing up, but you had to be taught. And mm -hmm. our kids, some kids are going to struggle more than others and need to learn the hard way more than others. But it doesn't mean they can't overcome that. But we have to do our part as parents to be calm, to be consistent and to model the behavior ultimately that we want to see from them. But it may take a long time. It's a big investment. It is. And behavior is the slowest thing to change. And mm -hmm. it's usually thing, the thing we get the most frustrated about because mm. we want that immediate change. And, and, and the most beautiful thread through all of this is empathy. So you teach parents that, you know, you wait till you're calm, wait till your child's calm when you can. This is not realistic every minute of your life because if they're having a meltdown and you need to get them to school because you need to get to work, you may not have that time to sit for however long it's going to take them to calm down. So mm -hmm. I recognize that this is not perfect in every situation, but... The goal to strive for is when you can, you just let your child get it out of their system and a child will only calm down as long as it takes them to calm down. Mm. You and I can't do anything to rush that process as, as hard as that is for us. So it takes a lot of patience on our end to just, I keep them in my peripheral. I don't stare at them because no one likes to be stared at, but mm -hmm. I keep them in my peripheral. Mm -hmm. I kind of do my own thing or I just sit and wait calmly. And they are mirrors of us. And if we're calm, they will eventually come to their calm. But if you and I all know what happens when we get frustrated, we raise our voice, they raise their voice, and then like nothing ever good comes of that. Mm -hmm. So giving them that space is so important to realize that they need to calm down on their own time, that it's going to take them. And then there's beautiful uh, questions that you ask them. Um, when they're calm, you, you state things using I noticed or I heard. So if it's something that happened at school, you could say I heard, you know, or if it's something you personally witnessed, you can say, wow, I saw you X, Y, and Z. Or like for me, it's, wow, I heard you hit, you know, Johnny on the playground. What's up with that? And you use this mm. even toned voice, like you're talking with someone on the elevator, like, how are you today? Mm. And without that emotion, it helps the child, um, continue that state of calm where then they can think logically and clearly to respond to you. But if and when we're emotionally escalated, 
they can't think naturally. They probably couldn't even tell you their name if they asked you because no one in that state can really process with it with a, with a clarity or even learn from the situation. And so that's what's so beautiful about this approach that has empathy in there. It has these guiding questions and statements that help get to the point where eventually, you know, I say the question, you know, what's up with that? And then you just wait mm-hmm. and the kid stares at you because no one's ever asked them for what's going on. We just tell them what we know they should or shouldn't be doing because I never taught you then. Why would you think then? How could you? Like we just got that whole reel going. Mm-hmm. So this is very, it, it feels so awkward because it's not how we're used to responding and, and what we're used to saying. So it takes a lot of practice on our part to really be okay with that silent moment. And the kids, they just, in in my experience, will shrug their shoulders or say, I don't know. And then you use this beautiful question. Well, if you did know, what would you say? Hmm. They look at you like you have two heads because no one ever <laughs> says anything like that. It just messes with your brain. But it gets them to the point where slowly over time, they recognize it's safe to say whatever it is for them that comes out. And sometimes it's something related to something that happened an hour ago or two hours ago or something another kid did to them possibly as well. Like behind every behavior, there's a story and this process gets to the story and the root of why they're doing what they're doing. And then it's only one of two things. Either it's a problem to be solved that you can collaboratively solve together, which is a beautiful skill to teach any kid that you want them to have for the rest of their life, problem solving, Mm -hmm. or it's a skill that needs to be taught. And so many times I see us assuming kids should know or be or do, and we have to take that assumption out and go back and be responsible for teaching them, knowing you taught them, and now that let's see how you do it. And I think there gets to be things along the way where we just assume, well, they should know that. Well, all kids don't do that. Okay, maybe 99% of your your kids did it, Hmm. but this one needs more rote taught practice about it. I know that was a lot. Yeah, and I like how you pointed out, like some kids do need more practice with it. Some kids will hop to on certain things and, and, you know, one time, one correction, one training, one even seeing somebody else go through something, it's like, oh, I'm not going to get in that situation, right? And it's yes. like, sometimes that's the learning and other times it's the kid that gets sent to you again and again and again. But that they know that when they enter your office, it's a safe place. And I wonder for parents listening, when our kids come home after school or when they just did something wrong and got caught or when when we're struggling with a certain thing, do they feel safe? And like you said at the very, very beginning, connection before correction. And the principal at my kids' school, I have uh, four boys, but three kids in elementary school right now. And the principal is fantastic. He is a connector. He is the crossing guard. Like he is amazing. And you know who he's talking to the most, Karen? The kids that need it the most. The kids that will inevitably end up in his office once a week. I hear about it. I, oh, so-and-so got sent to the principal's office again. But in the morning, it's a fresh slate. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, Sarah. I'm so excited you're here. Every day is new. Do your kids feel that way when they come in your home? And are are they feeling that way when they go to school? And I hope, hope, hope they are. Because it's a lot of hours they're spending there. 
so many hours and it can get so frustrating on a teacher and what teachers tend to do is they get they take it so personally mm. and 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 I and I have to work with them and it's not easy because again behavior is the hardest thing to change so this is not easy for te- this is not easy for teachers to change it's not easy for parents to change but it's so worth it and I really believe at the core of my heart it We owe our kids this process. Our kids deserve, like you said, to have a safe space where they do something wrong. They're not robots. And sometimes we expect so much of them and we get so upset when they don't do something right. But it's only in those moments that they actually will learn to grow and learn from that moment, have that teachable moment. And sometimes it is experiencing those falls to then learn and make it up to learn that lesson and go on and they will, you know, forever have, have gotten that lesson under their belt. And your principal sounds, I think I would love talking. With yes. Him. <laughs> he's amazing. He's so, so good. Yeah. He's, he's just, um, he's just, he knows everybody's name. I don't know how he does it. He knows all the kids and it's just like, wow, what a gift. And the kids light up. They want yeah. to be known. And when they, they feel do. known and seen, they're more likely to want to please you. Not that that should be the root of their behavior, but it helps them kind of get over the hump when they can know somebody cares, somebody's watching, somebody notices. And when they can get that positive reinforcement, that's where they're going to seek the attention instead of the other way. Yeah. And yeah. there's this beautiful phrase that I learned from Dr. Stuart Ablon, who I learned this work from um, out of Massachusetts General Hospital, out of Harvard. He said, kids do well if they can. Mm. All all kids do well if they can. And I I just believe that to my core, that every child in my school, your li- parents listening, your children actually want to do well if they can. And if they can't, it's up to you and I to figure out why. And this collaborative problem-solving approach helps get to the why. And when you start from that premise, you don't uh, – I think you, you'll see less blame, criticism, judgment. I can't believe that kid did that thing again and doesn't he know. Like all that is just disappears because, you know what, that kid – actually wants to do well if he could and something's holding him back and we're going to figure out what it is and we're going to help him and support him or teach him or or problem solve with him Mm. until he experiences that success and it's just so wild because when I was an assistant principal and I would get all the behavior referrals and and have to do all that which is never was never the fun part of my job but it is the bulk of your job I I was so excited one day when I finally came up with this idea to have lunch with every kid in the school who had the most behavior referrals and they could bring (laughs) one friend and we just met once a week for lunch and you know it Jessica even the teacher one time looked at me and said you know I hope you're not giving me that to him as a reward because unfortunately the bad kids they get a rap and that yeah. I think should just disappear and be something we never even see or hear or talk of ever again because I don't believe that at all and you know what I would say to her I was like it's an intervention like I had to mm. make up stuff but you know what happened in those in those lunches I connected with the kids and we would play Uno at the end of the lunch together and we would laugh, we would have fun and and we created a a time in their day or week that they looked forward to because nine times out of 10, school was so hard for them. They were just getting in trouble a lot because they had so much they had to work through and learn. And and like you said, some kids just get it the first times and others, it just takes teaching and reteaching and god help us we're freaking teaching them this lesson again mm-hmm. but um and that's that's and the kids got it and the teachers get it i mean the parents get it sometimes teachers are a little little later coming on board because they're so used to how they were raised and right. how they were taught 
and that's what they know. And this is a very, it's a very positive discipline approach. The consequence is still there. You're still gonna get your consequence, but look at how the connection can still be beautifully intact, kept where in those most difficult moments. Hey everybody, I wanted to thank a show sponsor and that is Skylight Frame. Maybe you've already heard about it, but if you've been on the fence, now is the time to get it for your loved one. For Mother's Day, for Father's Day, for any birthday, this is the gift that keeps on giving. It's my favorite thing I've ever given my grandparents. Skylight Frame is the most incredible way to feel close to those that you love even when you're far away. It's a digital photo frame that you can set up in under 60 seconds. It uses Wi-Fi. And the cool thing is that it has an email address attached to the frame. And you can give out that email address to any of your loved ones to submit pictures that automatically upload to the frame. It is so unbelievable. With a gorgeous 10-inch touchscreen, the quality of the images are perfect and it is easy to use, like I said. So even if you're not there to help your loved ones set it up, they're gonna be able to do it like a pro. Another thing and another tip that I like to tell people is preload it with photos. So when you give the gift, it's not like they're starting from scratch, but have your favorite 20 photos on there that will then act as a slideshow when they turn it on and hook it up to their Wi-Fi. That way it's the gift that starts out immediately and then you can upload new photos as it goes along. I like to set a reminder in my phone to remember to send new photos over to Skylight. Plus, it's 100% satisfaction guaranteed and they'll offer you a full refund if you're not totally satisfied. So now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter code MOMS. That's right, to get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter code MOMS. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com and use code MOMS, M-O-M-S, for that $10 off. So I know that when I'm trying to rush out the door, get my kids in the car, like you're talking about with your exchange students, when I lash out, when I throw an adult tantrum, it leaves me feeling really bad. So asking yourself, like, after I act a certain way, how does that make me feel, right? If you feel as a parent that you're always left feeling regret or you know, not that we should feel shame, but like we feel guilt about, you know, yelling at our kids when we tell them not to yell at each other. Like we we have to do better, but we all fall into that, right? So if more often than not, we're feeling bad about, you know, how things are going or the way we're handling things, it's not working anyways. So why not try something new? The kids are coming to the office anyways. They're, you know, making poor choices. It's not working to lecture them or just suspend them and keep them out of school. What if you connected with them? What if you played with them? What if you looked them in the eye? What if you just sat beside them and showed them, I'm still here. Nothing you can do is going to make you unworthy of being in my presence. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And here's two really great questions for parents that I just learned recently. And, and the parents on my call last week were like, we love this. Oh, great. It's if you if you want another question to ask your kid when they come up from school, because how was your day? Good. What, you, what did you do? I don't remember. Like no kid remembers anything when they come from school, but to check in, like I like to say with their little men, with their mental health, mm. try this. Hey, if your if your feelings were the weather, what would it look like right now? Hmm. Isn't that good? I yeah. love that. And then the other one is tell me three words to describe how you're feeling right now. And it's mm. just like to check in with them and, and give you information about how, how they're doing. And because sometimes kids are better about opening up about what they're going through and some aren't, and it's hard to connect with them. Yeah. 
Well, and I like that you said three words because usually it's like, how's your day? Good. You know, how would you describe your day? Good. Fine. Bad. You know, so it's just one. But if you're like three words, you can kind of get a much broader picture of what's going on and then you can follow up. And something I'm learning more and more, I just had an episode launch about having hard conversations with our kids about different topics. And it really does start with the questions we ask, doesn't it? So many times as parents or in, in school, we come at them with lectures, with information we want to pound into them. And really, A, they may not be ready for it. They may not be hearing it the same way. And they all just have this little different schema and this little different life experience. And what if we just ask them great questions to hear where they're at? And then we let them lead that conversation. It's so much more relevant and so much less scary of what we need to prep ahead of time to to address hard topics and hard conversations when we know where they're coming from. That's so good. I love that. Yeah, you're full of great questions to ask. So that's just so fantastic, that approach. Something that I think scares a lot of parents right now is social media, video games, the online world. Tell me what you're seeing in that. What reassurances do you have for parents and what do we need to be on the lookout for? So it's funny because I just interviewed a guy about this (laughs) on my podcast because that's the number one thing people are asking right now. Um, And according to, I'm not even going to remember the right name of it, but some study uh, somewhere, I, I can't remember it, but they said not to allow your kids to have social media accounts until the age of 13. Now that's not even still what I think should be allowed, but things have changed so much and it's hard when there's peer pressure and if all your friends are on it and you're not, that's hard too. So just food for thought, parents mm-hmm. listening, um, the study out there does say like 13 year old, 13 year, age 13 is like when you could start, you know, having your child have an account. And then a lot of parents are like, should I create another account to monitor my kid's account? And, and I asked this gentleman that because that's such a great question. And, mm-hmm. and I really liked what he shared, which was, um, he, he, he prefers just, just being open with your child. Like, Hey, I'm going to monitor what you're putting on. Um, why do you want to have an account with this platform? What do you see yourself posting on this account? Like, those are really great questions to ask your child. And instead of spying on them without them knowing, I mean, I guess we could just go back to you and I, how awful would we feel if we knew someone was doing that to us? Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't even just feel humanly right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like that they were like, just be open with your kid that you're going to check in and see where they are uh, once in a while. So they know that you're watching and, and that will help them hopefully try not to hide things from you. Uh, Cause you have to be so careful. I mean, there's so many things that, 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 um, it's scary what can happen online with accounts and people making creating fake accounts and right. things happening to kids these days. Um, so I thought those were some really good pointers to start out. And then just being aware of how often, how frequently they're on it. And if you can create other interests and foster their interest that so that, you know, gaming or on social media is not like, the only thing they're, I don't know how many I'm going to go as far to say, is addicted to um, because it's hard. It's hard to pull back once you're kind mm. of sucked into that. So monitoring their time on it. I mean, I interviewed two high school students about a year ago and they were like, the first thing they do when they wake up is check their social media feed. Who said what? Who posted what? Who commented? Who liked? Who? I mean, it just has absorbed their world and it's, mm. and it's and it, 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 it impacts their confidence and their self-esteem and their I mean, you know, that whole area too. So um, just really foster 
interests your kids like sports activities and 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 fill their time with all those activities so that their go-to and their most of their time isn't spent once they get into the gaming and the social media because even when i scroll through my feed <laughs> jessica i find myself so tied into it that i have to mentally like check out to like mm. okay i'm stepping away from this now like it just completely absorbs can completely absorb you so hopefully those few pointers um, can help a parent listening. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I liked asking the questions, like you said, what do you plan on posting? What would you do if somebody made a negative comment on one of your posts? How would that feel? You know, so helping them to see the potential of what they're opening themselves up to if they do want to, to do this. How would, that, you know, oh, that would feel terrible if so-and-so said this. Or how would you feel if you saw all your friends, you know, at an outing that you weren't invited to? You know, if you weren't on there, you wouldn't even know about that, Hmm. you know, but, oh, sometimes, you know, friends get together and I'm not invited sometimes. And that can be healthy too, to realize that as well. So just having those conversations, like you say, and yeah, the more we're connected to our kids, the less they'll feel prone to, I mean, not, you're not immune. Nobody's immune. And I've heard plenty of stories and, and I'm sure that it comes across your desk all the time, but yeah, that, that connection with our kids yeah, feeds into this online world as well, for sure. And I think another thing that is plaguing our kids is the mental health component. After the pandemic, wearing masks, coming back, being on Zoom, and the uncertainty of the back and forth. Really, mm-hmm. that was tumultuous for a lot of kids. And for kids whose parents aren't home to monitor and support Wow, that, what a challenge, what a challenge. How can we help our kids bolster themselves in their mental health? And are there tips that you have for parents that are concerned if they have concerns about anxiety, depression, you know, on and on and on, you know, that our kids can be facing younger and younger? Yeah, so I'll go back to this this guy, Richard Capriola, that I interviewed. I actually interviewed him three times because he wrote a book called The Addicted Child about substance abuse and it's 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 actually gives parents signals warning signals because there are times when you get to the table and you're like how did my kid get to this point Mm. like they didn't even see it happening or coming and even this year we've had more third graders search on google i want to kill myself ways to die like Mm. jessica we only saw those alerts like once twice a year in like fourth or fifth grade okay we're seeing them at like third grade and it has like quadrupled what we've seen over like we've had more this year than we've had in the last four years combined kidding i mean and the age is getting younger and younger and it's so scary i mean jessica i had to call a mom and tell her her kids searched ways to die and she just cried on the phone because she doesn't even know where it would have come from Mm. like to her her kid is fine Like, no, like, so people are really possibly experiencing things like they've never experienced before. A, how do you deal with that? And what, what Richard said, which I think is just so profound is parents have to realize and recognize that it's not if my child ends up with a substance abuse or a mental health illness, it's just a matter of when, and what am I going to do when they suffer from it? And I was like, that is a hard thought to think. Hmm. So it's a way to be proactive and aware, but not to create paranoia because that could enter in easily as well. Um, 
So real. So that's why I like that checking in on your feelings with your child question, mm-hmm. um, because they can look like they're totally fine, and then inside you have no idea what they're thinking, you know, or going through. So if you know someone or it's a resource you want to look up, it's called the Addicted Child. It's a really great resource for parents, like I said, to give you warning signs that you might not even know because maybe we haven't been through that before. We're aware of that. And then um, just having a good good support system, like the school counselors at school are really great, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, and like you said, connecting with your child and, and, and check in with yourself, parent, like, is a lot of what you're saying to your kid, like, take out the trash. Why don't you do your chore? Put this away. I told you, like, just right. listen to yourself and, and unplug from that for a few, you know, and I was interviewing another mom and she's like, I put a post-it note out, like, I love you. I went for a run. I just put post-it notes out to remind them because you're you're filling their bucket, right? Kids mm. need seven positives before a criticism. That's hard. You try to count that. That's hard as a teacher. Sure, it's hard as a parent. But but f- like we use that that idea of filling their bucket. So 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 think of ways you can fill your child's bucket. Find out does it does it does it um is their love language like gifts? Is it better if you buy something for them? Do they, is words of encouragement how your child receives love from you? Find out what that is. You can take a really brief assessment of that online. Or is it touch? Do they just need a hug from you or just a hand on their shoulder? And that just assures them like mom and dad, like just really care about me and I'm feeling that from them right now. And so uh, those are a couple, couple strategies you can use. Yeah. Oh, that is, that is so, so fantastic. A, a question that, and a common issue is separation, especially when kids are just starting school, right? And so for all the parents that have dropped off their kid, and yes, we're well into the school year, so probably, hopefully, a lot of this is resolved, but you still see it where the teacher's kind of peeling the kid off <laughs> the parent and drop off and stuff. Do you have any tips for, for separation and for just reassuring children who maybe are reluctant to get ready in the morning and obviously something else is going on underneath? There's a fear there or an attachment there that you know, needs to be addressed. But what, what are your tips for that kind of struggle? Yeah, because we see that every year, especially with our kindergartners and our parents aren't allowed into the building. Mm-hmm. And so they have to like say goodbye at the door. And that's so hard. And what we tell parents is just say goodbye and literally turn around and walk away. Like, mm-hmm. like, like just you, you remove yourself because as another adult is there to welcome them in, help them to their classroom, we'll be with them. We always have the school counselors there. And if they need a minute, we take it with them till they're calm. And <laughs> there we go again, till they're calm. Then mm-hmm. we, you know, bring them in. Um, and we do that enough times where eventually, you know, the tears have subsided. Uh, but the, the hardest and biggest thing is just, just, just parent, just walk away. As long as that other adult is there to work with them, just, just remove yourself, tell them you love them, goodbye, and just walk away. Like, mm-hmm. just walk away, right? As hard as that is. And we still have a student who is in second grade and every year has struggled coming in in the morning. The mom walks her to school um, and still, still cries, still struggles. And the school counselor meets her outside every morning. Um, and so you do have to ask, like, what is the morning routine? Mm. What, what is going on? What is what is going on in there? What story are they telling themselves in their mind? Mom, what story, you know, is going on with you or what you're saying? And uh, I, I have another resource that I actually gave that mom because, again, it was another <laughs> another author that I interviewed on my podcast because mm-hmm. that's how I get all my information and share <laughs> it. And it's called You're Not Crazy. Um, and I gave it to her and it just gives them ideas and resources to use, like, look at your morning routine and let's see how we can build into that little pieces of 
it's going to be a great day. Like we can do this. We got this, like keeping it positive and laying things out. So there's no confusion as to any little thing, like what I'm wearing that might cause more stress. Mm -hmm. So you just look at your whole routine in the morning and just prepare it in such a way to create it to be the easiest thing to get through. Um, and so, um, yeah, those are just a couple of thoughts that we've done and worked with parents on. Yeah, that is so good. Yeah, just walk away. They, they will be fine. And usually the report is, oh, the, you know, they were upset for a few minutes and then they were happy the rest of the day. That's typically the way it goes. So you can kind of just trust in that. Karin, this has been so, so valuable. I want to know how we can support teachers and faculty and administration right now. I think they get a lot of flack right now. They're not in charge of a lot of the decisions that are being imposed, but they're having to be the enforcers and they are put in a really hard position right now and and i think just generally they have so much on their plate they're tending to so many needs so many diverse needs in their classroom they're trying to you know stay on top of all these things differentiate instruction deal with the mental health all these things being thrown at them and they too are doing the best they can how can i as a parent best support the teachers and and administrators at my school you're so right i mean this year we thought last year was difficult and it really really was but this year has felt even more challenging mm. and more difficult. And I find myself more times than not walking into a classroom when a teacher's on their planning and just asking them, like, how are you doing? Mm. What can I help you with? Is there anything you need? And just even this last week I did it, and two teachers just broke down in tears wow. of things that they were going through at home with their kids. Like, and they show up and they do their job and we, you know, we're there for the kids, but people have got stuff going on and you have no idea when it's mm. their challenging moment themselves. You know what I mean? So I love that question you're asking. And, and what, what I've seen mean the most to, to teachers is, is send an encouraging thank you email to your teacher and CC the principal. Mm. Oh, good idea. That. Okay. Like, oh my gosh. My boss saw that I'm doing an incredible job when maybe it was a bad day for them or whatnot. And, and if you want to, I invite you to add on the bottom, like what are top three things that I could buy you? Like, Right. You know, simply that could just make your day and maybe just surprise them with something over the next month or just throw in, you know, a gift card to Dunkin' Donuts or, hey, I just appreciate you. We know you're 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 given more than you feel like you have in some days. And I just want you to know how much we appreciate it. Thank you. We can't say thank you enough. Done. Like those little things go such a long way. Um if, if you know someone who owns like a restaurant in your area, I don't know about teachers in your area, but for some reason in my school, if we bought staff lunch, which through our state money, we're allowed to do it only twice a year, which I think someone's changed that policy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you, you would have thought I gave them a million bucks. Wow, like all of a sudden yeah. they all are like happy. And, and, and we know if we take care of the teachers, they're going to take care of the kids. <clears throat> just like as we take care of ourselves, parents, your kids going to be better that day. Um, and it's, it's funny you said that because literally in two hours, I'm giving, it's an in-service day here in our, our district. And I'm giving a PD to third through fifth grade teachers on self-care for educators because they just need wow. more ideas, more resources. And I have this little meditation that I'm going to guide them through just to help them feel calm and connected and loved and safe. And so, you know, that's just another thought for you guys. That is so great. And I love that you gave free options. And there was a, a hard day where the teachers were getting a lot of flack a few weeks ago. And again, they're not responsible for these decisions. They just have to enforce it every day. It's so hard. So instead of causing more of a stink, I chose that day to instead of sending in the note of why I'm not sending my kid to school or whatever it is, I sent them a note of appreciation. 
Thank you so much. And I'm sure there was 10 emails from parents that were griping about, why are we still doing this? And And then hopefully when they opened just that one, it was like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> like wow. not everyone feels this way, right? And but but, but I wish I had CC'd the principal. That is really smart. I sh- I next time, next time I'm going to do that. That is so simple. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I print them out. I put a star oh. card on it. I make a big deal. I mean, nice. Cuz you do. You I mean, my boss, one of my bosses previously gave me this note that reminded her of me and it said, "Let's let's focus on the positive so loud that you can't even <laughs> hear the negative anymore." Because what does the negative do? I don't know, but if it just resounds. Yes. <laughs> so love. when the positives comes through, it's like, yes. And I just celebrate them. And I'm like, this is such a great moment. This feels so good because sometimes they are few and far between. Love. So thank you. Love that. Love that. Okay. So you've mentioned a couple times you have a podcast and I want you to tell people what the podcast is and where people can find you online. Cause you're full of great information and these topics that we're touching on, you could, you know, talk for an hour on each of these. Right. So tell, tell me more. Yeah, so my podcast is Momnificent. I started it last year um, on my birthday, which if you ever launch anything, it is the funnest thing to do on your birthday. That's what I did. That's what I launched <laughs> this serious? podcast. Oh, yes. Oh, uh-huh, so uh-huh. much fun. Yeah. So now a year later, it has like 2,400 downloads, 50 episodes. I do one a week. Yay. It's a guesting podcast for now. So if you, I also put all of the episodes on video on my YouTube channel, which is a different name. So you know, it might be a little confusing, but uh-huh. if you go to my website, you'll see it too. Uh, but the YouTube channel is Educational Impact Academy. And it's fun because you can see all the thumbnail pictures and just at a glance, see a topic and just literally listen to it while you're, you know, walk, going for a walk or driving the car. And I try to keep them like 30 minutes because I know no one has a lot of time, but yeah. give me something short, quick that I can try today, make me feel good. Awesome. And we go. Um, and then if you want to check out, I'm, I'm all over, um, uh, social media, just search for my name, Karin Jakabowski. And, and then if you're friend me on Facebook, I'll, I'll add you to my, my Facebook page for moms, happy moms, happy kids. And I post like tons of posts weekly based on the, um, podcast episodes that I run because then again, you can just grab a quick quote or grab a quick thought or a two minute video just to give you something that week to be like something to think about, something to try, you know? Um, and so I, I do run a parent course that I'm in the middle of, so you can stay connected via uh, my email, um, to, to hear when the next one of that opens. And I just started something new that I talked about for a year where I'm doing mindfulness lessons on Tuesdays after school, virtually on zoom mm. at four 30. And I do a little lesson from the mindful schools curriculum. I do a little read aloud and teach kids some breathing strategies. And it's just been so precious. And one of the authors of the books I just read to them, I invited him and he's coming on our next meet. I mean, this is crazy cool. That is so wonderful. I love how you've taken your job and experience and just expanded it to the things you're most passionate about and addressing the issues that can't necessarily be addressed in, you know, an eight to eight to three school time frame. But how else can you reach families, reach kids, empower them with these tools? And you are doing it. That is so cool, Karin. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I always ask my guests one final question and I'm going to tweak it for you. So usually it's, what would you tell your pre-motherhood self? But I want you to go back before you started teaching. What would you tell that little naive Karin way back when, before you first stepped foot in that classroom and started touching the lives of these thousands and thousands of kids? Mm, I would say, 
I would say find a way to help as many kids and parents in the world because inside you, what you know today and what you will experience is something that will inspire, encourage, uplift another one, and they need you. Mm, I love that. One person can really make a difference. Never underestimate that. And you're doing it. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Good luck with the rest of your school year. I hope next year is just a breath of fresh air for you. You deserve <laughs> right, <we'll> it. Take <laughs> it. Thank you so much. All the best. You're welcome, Jessica. My pleasure. I'll say it again. I am so grateful for incredible educators, and especially over these last few years where they have navigated really tricky things. And we put a lot of pressure on our school teachers and our administrators. People like Dr. Karen Jakabowski are really walking the walk and they just show how committed they are to helping our kids to be successful, to learn, but also just to become really good people. So if you're a teacher out there, thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you have not sent a thank you note or a little note of recognition, do that today. It is a free way to support your teacher. And like she said, CC the principal on that email that you send so that they're aware of your appreciation and the lengths that your teacher is going to to support your child. It just speaks volumes to them. So thank you for tuning in today. And if you have a child that's struggling in school, I hope this gave you some good insights. I'm going to link everywhere that you can find Dr. Karin on extraordinarymomspodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica Dahlquist 3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.